Welcome to the School of Calisthenics podcast with your hosts, Tim and Jacko. We're back and we're excited about this one. It's a friend of ours who's become a friend through calisthenics, but has got a lot of love to share. And he is Italiano, Tim. So I get to speak a little bit of lingo with him, as you know. Dave it, fancy himself an Italian. <laughs> I want to learn Italian, and I've asked Fran about this. But um, anyway, less, less about that, more about the <laughs> Italian stallion himself. You'll be able to judge how well Dave's <laughs> Italian lessons are going by the level of, intellect, of uh, vocabulary he's able to use. I said intellect there, I didn't mean that. Vocabulary that he, he, he exhibits throughout the podcast. So just a, that's a secondary level of enjoyment to what's actually going to be the main purpose of us chatting to Fran. So Fran, aka Iron Manager on Instagram, is um, going to be talking to us about his experience of using calisthenics as part of a hypertrophy for bodybuilding. He's been bodybuilding naturally um, for 23 years and we've met him, we know him. When he says natural bodybuilding, he means natural bodybuilding. He's not... He's not messing about with that. Um, and then he's also studying um, nutrition. So he comes at this um, training and hypertrophy perspective from a bodybuilding where it meets in with calisthenics and then how the nutrition is important for that as a whole shebang. And I think that um, I think there's potentially even more we can get him on for a part two if people uh, enjoy this one because there's still so much that we can cover. So if you've ever thought about trying to build more muscle mass using calisthenics and you want some real um, usable information that you want to, you can stick and get into your training programs, then listen up because Fran has gone, he's been there, he's done it, and this is going to be really valuable. And I've, I'm, yeah, we definitely got something yeah. out of this as well. Um, so enjoy the little podcast with Fran. Enjoy it all the way to the end because there's a couple of little diamond bits of takeaway messages right at the very end. And that's not just trying to make you listen to it, that genuinely is. Um, so, Jacko, do the do Italian. Francesco. Uh, roll the jingle. <laughs> Here it is. Enjoy. So I'm particularly excited about this podcast because we have an Italian guest, which lets me uh, practice my Italian. Um, no other than Francesco Pignetti. Wow. AKA, I'm pretty impressed. AKA, or better known on Instagram as iManager. Welcome to the podcast, Fran. Well, Fran for short, Prego. My Thank friend. you guys for. <laughs> For inviting me yeah thank you prego prego <laughs> uh, we're buzzing for this one because um, just a little bit of history fran and flavia came to our first marbella trip was when we met you guys originally yes. in 2018 that mm -hmm. must have been yep. and you the guys have stayed engaged stayed connected coming to another marbella trip coming to some more events and we've just grown to be friends and so it's now just wicked to get fran on to share some of the incredible knowledge that he's got and he's a, fran's a guy who's really sort of inspired us in the, his journey and the way that he's kind of come into calisthenics and stuff that he's done in the past so much value such a knowledgeable guy perfect for the podcast yeah so fran just actually on that the am i right in thinking my memory of uh flavia telling me the story is almost you guys came um and you were effectively you'd done no calisthenics at all before you were doing bodybuilding and it was more of a case of well i'll cut like flavia was like come along with me because I want to go yeah, on this yeah, thing yeah. and you're like, it's training, so you'll like it because it's training, but you you were sort of along for the ride and, and I guess over the weekend caught the bug. Is that, yeah, is that fair absolutely. to say? And then, and then I actually fell in love with, um, especially your guys' approach in uh, you know, also teaching all the, the skills of calisthenics. And I've always been very curious about other disciplines. So even if I've been training as a natural bodybuilder for 23 years, 
compared to some of my colleagues, I always wanted to also mix up things and learn new way of, you know, uh, you know, training my body uh, properly, like literally natural bodybuilding, like bodybuilding, building my body. Yeah. And what I found, you know, in the first workshop in Marbella in particular was that while I was very strong in particular range of movements, uh, so the typical range of movements of, you know, bodybuilding, like bench press, you know, squat and deadlift, I was like terribly weak. Probably Flavia was stronger than me <laughs> on other range of movements, in particular, like uh, above my, uh, my head with my shoulders. Yeah. So for me, it was like great because I'm also a perfectionist. So here we go, a nice challenge. And yeah. then uh, I started practicing and now I'm not per perfect, of course, but I really enjoy mixing up things and, uh, you know, start all my trainings with calisthenics moves before moving into the more kind of a usual compound movement of bodybuilding. Yeah, I think your approach to that was actually amazing for us to see because there was, I remember the, it might have been the second day of the first trip where you sort of, you spent some quite good time with Jacko just one-on-one, -on -one, just looking at pull-ups and how that might change for you from, from the, what you wanted out of it. But sometimes we get people that come that have got a good strength training background and they try calisthenics and they get really frustrated and they're like, angry. why can't I do that? I should be able to do that. But you were like a real student of the game. You kind of looked at it and there was none of that. You're like, oh, I'm not very good at that. I wonder why that is. And then you could see you going on that journey to start unpicking it. How has that sort of shift affected what your training is like now? As you said, you've been, been bodybuilding for sort of 23 years. How has like the introduction of, of a calisthenics changed your approach to training? Yeah, I mean, it was, um, it's still like a very humble uh, journey because uh, for some particular movements, for some skills, I have to basically start from scratch. Um, but I, as I said, I mean, I always enjoy a challenge. I always... Uh, um, enjoy also um, and be able to activate my muscle in a different way and uh, you know explore in different range of motions so at the beginning it was really starting from uh, the very basics um, thank god now you guys have also the virtual class and uh, you know, I'm a member there so I, I go sometimes to check also some of the videos uh, and sometimes I do uh, regressions because I feel like oh yeah now I'm ready for a progression or a variation a more difficult variation where actually I need to still focus on uh, you know the the first skills and uh you know what i do is usually like start all my trainings and i do like at the moment a push pull lower with calisthenics moves because you know this is something that i learned also you know first years of bodybuilding when you're learning uh, new skills new you know movements new drills it's always important to put them at the beginning of your workout when you're still fresh and your nervous your central nervous system is still able to you know, learn the pattern, uh, you know, sediment the pattern in your brain, and then you can move into more kind of a high volume capacity uh, drills that in my case, most of the times are, you know, bench press or your compound movement from uh, bodybuilding. One of the things that I also noticed in, in uh, kind of the change and the evolution of my training is that while at the beginning uh, as a bodybuilder, I was doing like, yes, compound movement, but also a lot of isolation like bicep curls or just focusing on machines. Now I don't see the need of them because I train my body, you know, as a full body uh, every time. And then, uh, you know, I just focus on, um, you know, I remember also from the Marbella workshop, those exercises that can allow me to basically be more efficient. So train maybe more muscle at the same time rather yeah. than doing a lot of isolation. 
Yeah, so that's a great little sort of insight as to how that's affected your training. Just for the people listening, tell us a little bit about, about your background. So your training background you've mentioned to go tell us a little bit more about that and then also what you're doing now as a as a, as a professional in the industry. Yeah, I mean, I don't like to brag about it. Uh, you know, no, this is your time. This is your time. To... Yeah, this is your platform, mate. You can <laughs> name drop if you if you've trained any celebrities as well. Yeah, many, yeah, competitions you've won. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> do you want me to do it in Italian? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, I want to enjoy it. No. I don't understand. I'll be able to understand. I'll translate for you later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've always been very sporty. So being, you know, doing like athletics, like track and field. And then, uh, you know, uh, cross country running. And then I moved to bodybuilding. I've been training uh, as a bodybuilder for 20, 22 years. Uh, competed 16 times in, in Italy, in the UK, in the US. I also won some uh, competition in the UK, in the US. And, um, and then uh, at the moment, I'm studying uh, sport and performance nutrition here at Westminster University. Uh, because uh, I, I don't like to... Um, brag about it but and also you know just uh you know feel like superior but i don't consider myself just a personal trainer because uh i have a background in innovation and strategy management uh so i work for uh, 12 years in the industry also working for big corporations here in london and then in november uh, 2016 i decided to quit my corporate job and just focus on my passion so fitness bodybuilding training and uh, uh, you know, helping other people to get fit. So I like to describe myself as um, a digital uh, innovator, uh, where I basically, the things that I was doing in these big corporations, uh, I basically brought it into my business. So every time that I uh, basically help other people to get fit, I also think a way to make it more efficient and more practical to as many people as possible. So this year I launched my Iron Manager app. I have a couple of websites. I have calculators where people can basically go there, type in their data and then find out about their body fat percentage by just using a caliper or can calculate their one rep max. Every time that I see a challenge, I try to digitize it or make it available to as many people as possible. Uh, kind of sort of like a do-it-yourself initial stage and then, of course, if you want to go into more details and have a more structured approach, they can uh, get in touch and uh, we can have a one-to-one uh, uh, personal training uh, journey as well. And what I think is interesting about this and some of the knowledge that you're going to share with us moving forwards in this conversation, you've not only got an extensive training background of things that you tried on yourself, but how many clients do you currently look after in terms of one-to-one PT yeah, at the moment is uh, 120 um, is going crazy. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't believe that when you said that before. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it currently got 120 people. Like, it's tough. Uh, it's very tough. And, you know, one of the key questions that I always got, like, how can you maintain a high level of uh, quality of your service if you have so many clients? But then uh, the, the first answer is that, of course, I got to 120 through different stages. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I learned a lot of lessons and uh, learn also to kind of uh, templatize and automate some of the processes so that I don't start from scratch all the times. And yeah. I basically develop a certain level of uh, personalization and customization depending on the level of the clients. But if it's just like the average person that just want to get fed, then any type of program can actually work with that person. And mm-hmm. therefore, the customization is very little. If instead I'm working with a person who is stepping on stage in eight weeks' time as an athletic bodybuilder, then 
the level of personalization is much higher and then it requires more time. And then I have like different packages as well. I mean, I uh, guarantee like one week um, uh, or yeah, a regular check-in with me via my uh, website chat with like, the regular clients. If you are a competitive athlete or if you want to get in touch more often, then there's a coaching plan separate to basically get in touch okay. with me on a regular basis. So yeah. my WhatsApp will blow. <laughs> so what you're saying is you're a victim of your own success. <laughs> it's like you've, you've, you've done a very good job of digitizing and innovating. Well, I think one of the things that... Um, that is, you know, proofs in the pudding that you, uh, isn't, haven't you got some people that have literally been with you still from the start? Oh yeah. And how long, like, how long is that? Uh, officially, before it was like, uh, when I started Iron Management was like 10 years ago, but at the beginning I didn't develop programs for someone else. Uh, I was just like putting my story out there on the social media, on YouTube, uh, by basically telling my natural bodybuilding journey. So I would say that I started uh, six years ago, and uh, I have some people that are still with me, and uh, they changed dramatically uh, since the beginning. Yeah, and uh, it's also good to see that um, if you have, if you train people, if you coach people with an open mind, uh, they can also be open to experiment and be curious to, you know, add also other dis- disciplines uh, to their trainings. So I, I see that many people now are asking me about some calisthenics drills. <laughs> I meant to ask you about also your uh, training course for you know personal trainers because maybe it could be like another certification that I would like to have on on my mm-hmm. belt. But you know that that's really cool because uh, they become friends and it's really the the relationship like coach and athlete, uh, so complete trust. And uh, uh, you know every time that I go to Italy, you know sometimes people uh, send me some gifts and uh, you know some nice produce from. Uh, south of italy you know i get invited to gyms or gyms opening so it's, it's very nice you know i'm almost yeah. like famous in my niche uh, in uh, in italy that's cool yeah i know and the fact that people have been staying staying on on that same course with you for, for six years sort of says yeah, says an I, awful lot i i mean uh, again i don't want to talk too much about my, my business but i i never done any type of um Facebook or social media advertisement uh, because um, at the moment, as you can imagine, I'm pretty full. <laughs> you don't so want any more. Client portfolio and Flavia will kill me if I get additional <laughs> ones. But then, uh, yeah, it's just like word of mouth. So I work a lot uh, because people are happy. Uh, so yeah. the happy clients are advocates for other people. So sometimes I have like a, an entire bunch of friends coming from the same city and they train at the same gym with the same Iron Manager t-shirt. So it's pretty cool. They send me pictures. And you just can't give them the same personalized program. And <laughs> <laughs> they're all, no, no. And they're all yeah, I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah. Um, let's dive then into a little bit of like what types of, um, uh, of that sort of expertise that we can, um, to, to get from you for, uh, for the listeners today that, you know, it's always important for us, to, for the listeners to get, um, to get some takeaway messages for them. And um, the two probably, or the, the big topic that we wanted to talk about was the use of calisthenics within hypertrophy. And the, there's the, the, the can you, can't you question. There's also then the uh, really interesting, like the nutritional side of things of going, okay, the, this is, we can talk about the protocols for, for hypertrophy and mm-hmm. whether you're, that stimulus is coming from weights or, or body weight, but it's the resistance if we're not supplementing that with an amino, sorry, I don't mean that's probably not a great word. If you're not providing the body with the right fuel to be able to do that with the right amounts, then 
the hypertrophy is not gonna gonna happen. So, um, yeah, sure. Just let's dive then. In, let's dive into a little bit of um, about hypertrophy. It's something that we get asked a, a lot about. Um, people wondering whether you can actually can I can I create a hypertrophy adaptation with calisthenics and bodyweight training as opposed to weight training. Um, just your view on that, and you know. It, sure. There's probably there's there's pros and cons, right? Of yeah, um, yeah. with that question, we literally can now be Jack and I can be quiet for half an hour. So um, yeah, because we, we, <laughs> well, you touched on <laughs> just, just, just but go, you touched Frank. on isolation before, and then going actually now I'm training multiple body parts at the same time, so I can hit them more often. Like the difference between that yeah. compared to isolating in one session is like a is an interesting question. Uh, sure. You know, as well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if if you look at it from a, an academic standpoint, uh, hypertrophy is basically stimulated by the availability of uh, protein in the bloodstream. Uh, so you need to consume enough, uh, enough protein, in particular protein with um, high level of leucine, that is one of the amino acids. And of course, uh, you know, resistant training uh, or you know, stimulating the muscle, do something with your muscle. Uh, I, I'm saying that because most, most of the people that maybe are novice or they approach bodybuilding or they're interested in hypertrophy, they think that uh, it's all about lifting heavy barbell with really poor form, just moving away from A to B and eat uh, or drink as many protein shakes as possible. So it's not like that. You, you, you can drink as many protein shakes as possible, but if you don't train and if you don't put your muscle under a certain mechanical stress, then you're not going to you know, build muscle. You're not going to uh, develop uh, big muscle bellies. So in terms of like, uh, then when we look at the training side of things, uh, there are different variables that um, you know, come into play in, in order to stimulate hypertrophy. Um, kind of the old school uh, thought that was just about intensity, so like weight on the barbell. So the more weight and then the bigger the muscle uh, will become over time, so progressive tension overload. But then most recently, especially the last 10 years, there have been a lot of research also led by... Uh, a scholar uh, called Brand Confield that shows that actually uh, many other variables or parameters can play an important role in uh, stimulating hypertrophy because there are different types of hypertrophy, uh, so myofibral um, uh, hypertrophy and sarcoplasmatic hypertrophy. And you know, probably the most important parameter, if we want to really simplify, is volume. So trying to you know do as much volume as possible or trying to increase your volume from a baseline over time every week so that you basically get your body to adapt to the you know mechanical stress and uh, over time you increase the volume or the number of sets the number of repetition that you do with that particular load that you can increase of course over time because uh, if you consider like a mesocycle Week one, maybe you're going to be able to lift like a certain weight for a certain number of repetition. Over time, I mean, you try to increase, you know, the volume and the intensity. By week 12, at the end of uh, your training program, you're going to be much stronger. You can lift much more weight compared to the beginning. It, it takes time, uh, a lot of patience. Uh, many people want to rush and just maybe instead of following a structured program, they want to start adding uh, weight on the barbell or trying to, uh, you know, just rush too much, uh, you know, the process. And, uh, you know, in terms of like body weight training, uh, you know, I'm, <laughs> I was able to, you know, continue to progress uh, with my strength 
by uh, you know just you know shifting completely uh, on just body weight training and just uh, keeping the bodybuilding compound movement as accessory work or capacity work. So uh, as I was saying at the beginning, because I'm learning these new drills, these new movement. Uh, for me, uh, those are at the beginning of the workout. And, uh, you know, every time that I train, I just train to uh, focus on uh, the variations. So maybe different variation of the movement to make it more difficult instead of like putting weight on the barbell, just working on uh, a more, more difficult variation of that particular movement. And then mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like every week, I try to do one set, two sets more compared to the previous week so that I can improve also the volume. And in terms of like strength, uh, especially in my back muscle and uh, my chest, my shoulder, uh, that actually increases tremendously uh, by just focusing on body weight. Because again, there's also the other aspects about the range of motion. So while you're focusing on uh, the range of motion in like typical bodybuilding exercises, the range of motion is very limited. And uh, if you can actually improve the range of motion and be strong and also the two side of the spectrum, the two side of the range of motion, then uh, yeah. you basically have the muscle under tension for longer because the movement is longer. Yeah. And of course, uh, if you have, again, this is another parameter for hypertrophy. If you improve and increase uh, muscle under tension, then uh, you also increase hypertrophy. So yeah, I would say like it's totally possible. Um, it's not that I'm, I'm not removing um, kind of the bodybuilding movement because uh, I feel I need to do them. It's just because, you know, for me, training is like um, a way to have fun. And, uh, you know, I want to stick with some of those movements as well, but I could potentially just focus on body weight and uh, still be able to progress with my hypertrophy. Yeah, there's a couple of things in there that's made me think that actually often we'll think of um, calisthenics not being great for isolating body parts and that that sort of isolation work being quite common in, in the sort of bodybuilding world. And therefore, um, and the fact that you can't just change your body weight easily, you can't just add a kilo on or whatever you, you sort of have your body weight and you need to then manipulate the positions to make it a little bit harder, etc. But which, which then makes it slightly more complicated than just choosing a heavier dumbbell each week or whatever it may be. Um, right. But that volume, that volume part there that you mentioned actually, it sort of play. It's, it's sounding more like it's playing into the hands of like body weight being better in a way because if you if you just go out this exercise and I'm not going to worry about progressing the exercise so much in terms of its difficulty and the load demand I'm going through. I'm actually just going to work on my volume up to a certain point and then work at then how I'm going to like manipulate and change this um, and just basically right. using what using what you've been given in terms of your your body and that sort of. Yeah, I guess, and potentially, if you're doing a decent job, and we'll get onto the nutrition stuff um, in in a, in a minute. But we'll, if you're doing a good job on that, and you're actually, um, I've only just thought of this now. If you're actually then doing a decent job of creating some hypertrophy, as the weeks go by, your body weight is going to actually increase as well. So you are increasing the load demand, even if you don't change the exercise in itself. I'm yeah. just thinking of taking something really simple like a push up, for example. Yeah, but yeah, you you can. You can work on that. Yeah, that, close that chain volume. movements like push-ups, again, uh, have been very underrated in the bodybuilding community, but they are just like so, so great in terms of like stimulating hypertrophy. And, uh, you know, I think that, and you guys are doing a great job in, in, in this, is like most, most of the people, the majority of the population still go to the gym and just try to lift like a heavier dumbbell or a heavier barbell. 
simply because they don't have the knowledge, they don't have the education about uh, body weight exercises, that they don't know what are all the different variations. And as you were saying at the beginning of the podcast, I mean, uh, when they be just a bodybuilder of calisthenics, they, they try to do right away the, the full-blown movement. They're not able to do it because clearly they don't have the strength on that, those range of motion, and then they just mm. gave up and they go back to the dumbbells and the barbells. Well, reality is that you need to be very humble and start you know, from the very beginning and then uh, become more uh, in control of your body, uh, the movement of your body in space. And uh, if you are able to do that, then uh, that level of, that ability of controlling your body and feeling all the you know muscle chains working together in coordination is actually a perfect transfer for some of the typical movements of bodybuilding that you have been doing for ages. So I just want to get a little bit of detail, Frank, because sometimes I sit in, in conferences and, and um, often people will speak and they're like, it's a coaching conference, right? And people are like, oh, I'm not going to tell you about sets and reps because you all know sets and reps. I'm going to talk about something else. And like a lot of times I'm like, I know I want to know about sets and reps because I want to know what variables you're using. So if someone was listening to this, if they're going to go, right, I'm somebody who wants to increase the amount of muscle mass that I've got. I want to go through a hypertrophy block of training how do I get started? But I want to use calisthenics. So there'll be some principles within that about how many sets, how many reps, what sort of tempos, and then how do we sort of structure a program of, do we need some of that mechanical sort of tension work of higher, higher intensity? And do we need some more metabolic kind of work around the volume? Just give us some like real kind of top level points of you want to get you want to build some muscle this is the things that you need to go and do next time you hit the gym and i'll get yeah. my notepad out yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna yeah listen to this one carefully jacko <laughs> yeah no, i i like this topic because i've done a lot of studies about that um i you know um even like uh there there are a lot of scholars also that they publish a lot of work around the uh, maximal muscle uh, maximum uh, recordable volume uh, like mike is right and uh, you know I, i'm basically you know, when, when we, it depends on the athlete, of course, if it's a novice athlete or intermediate or advanced, and then you can go for a linear periodization or like undulating periodization. But ideally, I see that in calisthenics, uh, and this is applicable also to bodybuilding, to build hypertrophy is always a good way to basically change the stimuli throughout the week. So, uh, you know, maybe at the beginning of the week, you just focus on, uh, uh, power and uh, trying to uh, you know do repetition as quickly as possible uh, maybe by using some uh, some weight as well uh, like I'm thinking about pull-ups like uh, weighted pull-ups but trying to the intention uh, of your body is to move the body as quickly as possible up even if of course the weight is gonna slow you down but then uh, the focus is on power and velocity and then uh, another session and that, that usually when you work on power uh, you work on uh, the ATP PCR system, uh, so a system that is based on creatine and it goes from one to ten seconds. So uh, it's basically not a glycolytic system, and uh, so basically the the resting time in between sets needs to be longer. And also, um, you know, probably it's a good idea not to focus on too much volume, not too many sets. So I will focus at the beginning in the first week uh, of a mesocycle on three maximum four sets of, you know from three to four reps no more than that so because the, the important is to uh, exert velocity and power in the movement uh, we don't uh, look at you know metabolic damage or lactic acid or those type of bioproducts so it needs to be very powerful strong and then uh, another session that instead uh, more focus on uh, 
maybe uh, kind of a strength. Uh, so um, like uh, maybe other three to four sets or uh, from five to six reps where maybe you focus more on the centric portion of the movement. So, you know, maybe again, thinking about pull-ups, uh, you go up very uh, strong and very quickly, but then you lower yourself down very slowly just to focus on the centric portion of the movement that is actually one of the most important one in terms of like uh, developing hypertrophy, uh, you know, through muscle protein synthesis. And then maybe the third session of the week where you focus more on the, on the typical hypertrophy work that is more like capacity, more volume. So you can also go from three to four sets uh, with like one or two reps, um, uh, kind of a uh, resting, uh, reps in reserve. So almost like to failure, but then you focus on uh, easier, uh, easier movements that could be like, I don't know, pull-ups with a band or pull-ups also on the assisted uh, machine where, you know, basically the tension can remain the same and you can focus maybe on, uh, again, lowering yourself down as slowly as possible, just focusing on the centric movement. So the idea is like, and this is the beauty, again, of program design, you don't have to stick with the same rules and the same exercises and the same number of sets, like four sets, six, eight. No, I mean, you need to mix them up as, as much as possible. And I will say that one of the other key aspects is like, try to don't go overboard. Because, uh, you know, again, some majority of the cases, people tend to uh, maybe uh, start with like super high volume uh, from week one. And then when they get to, you know, week six or week seven, they will start feeling some symptoms of overtraining because uh, they didn't allow the body to adapt to the progressive tension overload uh, to the entire musculature. So it's very important to actually take a step back and start small, even if you know that from week one, you could do a bit more. And then progression, the progression is actually the most important part in terms of developing hypertrophy because you need to allow the body to adapt. And of course, if you have also good nutrition, good nutrition with progressive tension overload by looking at different variables, so not just intensity, will give you hypertrophy. It's simpler, it's much simpler than people think, but uh, sometimes we like to overcomplicate things and yeah. do too little or too much or eat too little or too much. I mean, even from a nutrition standpoint, I mean, just crazy stuff. That's awesome. I think there's one thing I wanted to just get your input on. I mean, you touched on it briefly at the beginning around um, isolation exercises. So a bicep curl or, or a, a knee extension, something like that where we're targeting on an individual muscle. My understanding, not from a bodybuilding background, is that's very much around sort of like feeling contraction of actually sort of properly squeezing the muscle through range of movement, and that's going to help the stimulus um, for hypertrophy adaptation. That's, I've tried, played around with that. It's hard in, in calisthenics when, you, when you're not looking at isolation because in a pull-up, there's so much going on. Um, have you got any recommendations around sort of like, the, the point you made around eccentric, I think is such a huge thing for people that most people, Will, in calisthenics will fall through that phase whether it's a pull-up or a push-up it's the easy bit you get a little bit of rest and you're back to the bottom where you're then going to go and push or pull again slowing the tempo down and doing sort of four second five second eccentrics is brutally difficult and it drops the amount of volume you can get in in that exercise so might be able to do 20 dips on a one zero one tempo but ask them to do a one or a four zero one tempo like a four second eccentrics and 20 dips will become eight really really quickly mm -hmm. part of that's like a metabolic demand but part of it is just muscular fatigue Around that contraction, have you got any sort of other ideas for people in terms of if we're doing chin-ups, for example, should we really feel like we're trying to squeeze a bicep or we just need to be very much controlled and conscious about moving with higher quality? And as you said, it doesn't overcomplicate that too much. 
Yeah, it, it depends on the movement. I would say that for a chin up, um, again, this is the beauty also of calisthenics or compound movements or the ability of coordinating different muscles to do a specific exercise. It's probably a good idea just to, you know, for, for me, it's natural now just focusing on uh, the muscle they are actually involving the movement and trying to feel the contraction from the activation of your lats when you're bottom down position up to when you're, you know, with a, with a bar to your chin. And uh, yeah, it's always a good idea not to focus just in the compound movements, just to focus on one single muscle, but the entire chain of muscle that, uh, you know, are involved in the, in, the, in the movement. While when it comes to, you know, for instance, I still do some isolation movement like for legs, uh, rectus femoris. Again, there are a lot of studies that shows that actually in order to train effectively rectus femoris, uh, you need to do some knee extensions or, you know, uh, leg, uh, leg extension, uh, for instance. And, you know, in that case, uh, what you can do is just like focusing again on the, it depends on the movement, but in a kind of a leg extension, like focusing on the iso hold or the isometric hold or the contraction. So instead of like doing like, I see many people at the gym, like leg extension like this, like lifting, almost like doing slow motion. So even the concentric is very slow. So you increase the time under tension of the muscle and then you hold the position with your leg straight for a couple of seconds and then you lower the weight down. So it's not a sprint, it's literally just focusing and squeezing the muscle as much as possible. And um, again, there are other tips that you can adopt there, but uh, you know, bicep curls, I, again, I do bicep curls as well in, because um, you know, uh, for, for my posture and also it helps with the uh, you know, shoulders. Uh, because there's you know some muscle that are attached to the shoulder so just just focus on when you do isolation trying to focus on the muscle that uh, you want to you want to target and uh, just the tempo is actually the most important parameter uh, so just trying to uh, squeeze or like pick contraction and lower the weight down as low as possible when it comes instead to compound movement then uh, it's just a matter of having uh, perfect form but really that, that's why they're also more complicated because I know is an orchestration of different muscle so sometimes with some of my athletes I uh, you know if they are novice I let them start from uh, you know machines or isolation movement so they actually start feeling the muscle in bodybuilding we have this concept of the pump so the pump is not just like yeah it's aesthetics but it's also a way for the athlete to start feeling the muscle. Oh yeah, actually I work this muscle. So now yeah. if I connect the bicep and uh, you know, the, the lats that I use, for instance, on the lat machine, then uh, if I go on a bar, I can do a chin up better because I know how to activate the muscle more effectively. Yeah, but the thing that, that one thing on the, the, that just ties in quite nicely is you mentioned about tempo and what, uh, or well, you both and, and Tim mentioned about tempo, but linking back then into that volume question, saying volume is that such a big parameter, um, but literally, we're not often taking the tempo into consideration of that and how 
closely those two things are linked and if someone has never played around with like some slower tempo work like recommend trying that to see see the difference and see the effect um that it has um i have tim has been trying to tell me that he needs he's doing bicep curls to to help with the stabilization of the humeral head because of where long head of bicep um attaches but i know that he's just doing it for the pump let's be honest Fran, back me up right <laughs> yeah. head stability humor head stability depends but again you talked about perfect foot it depends how you do them most of the time you see people doing a bicep curl with the shoulder in a really poor position rather than actually using it for that postural control. Yeah. And look, if I've got a stable humeral head and massive biceps, that's a double then win, right? Then you're winning. Double Probably win. like just, yeah, completely bodybuilding. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Perfect. We can do a double bicep next time that we see each other. Oh, man, yeah. don't embarrass me. I'm like, still next to you. <laughs> Crikey. I've got one thing and then I want to move on to nutrition. Yeah. <clears throat> this has been the research a lot and I know you'll have a great, great answer for it. Split routine or total body? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I will definitely go for total body because um, uh, at least it's been like my evolution as well. I started like uh, with a bra split, like training like one single day just for, for biceps. <laughs> yeah. Yes, good times. Yeah, Probably you know, Mondays <laughs> and Fridays. <laughs> but uh, or the mirror muscles, you know, the muscle that you see in the mirror. So like, it would be like chest, chest biceps and shoulder and they were tim's scuba diving muscles when you were scuba <laughs> yeah, shoulder, right? were, yeah. <laughs> neglecting you know the back <laughs> muscle and the posterior chain so i would say that because our body is like a, a whole kinetic system um, and also in terms of like muscle protein synthesis stimulation that uh, you know after a workout last roughly from 36 to 48 hours there's always like a window of opportunity to target those muscles again multiple times throughout the week to maximize the hypertrophy opportunity if you do like a bra split and this is the uh, usual uh, rationale for going for a full body if you do a bra split then uh, maybe you train biceps only one time uh, a week while if you do a full body split then if you also incorporate a lot of compound movement then you target those muscles those biceps like two to three times a week and then you have better opportunity to grow muscle because every time that you train, you stimulate muscle protein synthesis. If basically you have good nutrition and uh, a good amount of carbohydrates and protein, then you maximize your opportunity uh, to, to grow and uh, to, you know, for muscle, muscle development. One of the things that, again, going back to volume that many people do is like, they just focus on the volume because again, even in the fitness industry, there are a lot of trends but they do junk volume. Uh, so again, that's why tempo and uh, perfect form is so important. It doesn't matter if you do 10 sets of uh, pull-ups or 10 sets of bench press. If you do them uh, just very quickly without you know, muscle tension throughout the, uh, the range of movements and uh, just to basically kill the time at the gym, uh, it's much better to do less volume, but more effective volume uh, so that, you know, again, you can uh, have a better uh, hypertrophy result. So it's, again, quality over quantity. Were you two using the term bro split yeah. as a technical term? Uh, it's it? just become known as that, <laughs> isn't it? Become known. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a bro split. The bro split. Monday chest, Tuesday back, Wednesday buys and tries. Repeat. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's delve then into the nutrition side of things because we've everything we've talked there about hypertrophy is related to training. Um, but as we sort of mentioned at the start, you can be doing all of that, but if we're not feeding uh, with the right nutrients, then um, 
we're we're not we're not set we're not setting the environment for our body to actually adapt and and create that hypertrophy response in terms of gaining um mass right. what's some of the like headline um things then from a nutritional point of view sort of i guess like the, at the very simplest level like a calorie surplus uh, making sure that we're mm. getting actually enough total so but you know let, let's start there and then let's sort of go down in layers yeah. of, of of importance yeah sure uh, again well, there, what is the are, most yeah what is the most important start with the most, the important. most important yeah uh, throughout time i i learned that and also by reading a lot of research that actually the most important factor and the kind of a, at the base of the pyramid pyramid of factors that accounts in terms of like body recomposition and many people neglect or don't pay too much attention to is adherence to the diet so you know if i'm for instance, if I have a client that um, is vegetarian and I ask that client to eat meat every day, that client is not going to adhere to the diet yeah. and that is not going to have any results. So diet adherence is the most important factor. So it needs to be like a diet that is sustainable and uh, the client or the athlete is going to be able to uh, take it as a lifestyle rather than like a strict regimen uh, they have to follow in order to achieve a certain goal. Because if that's the case, then the, the client or the athlete will just follow that diet for just like a very short uh, period of time. And then we'll just go back to, you know, kind of a bad habit. Yeah. And, and then, of course, right after that is energy, uh, the energy balance equation. So depending on what is your uh, objective, if, you're, if you want to build muscle, if you want to build mass, then, of course, you need to be on a calorie surplus. Uh, if you want to maintain your weight or just going more through a body recomposition phase where you're trying to improve the ratio muscle over fat, then uh, you go with your total daily energy expenditure. So the calories, uh, basically you eat the calories that you expend uh, throughout the day. And then, of course, if you want to lose uh, fat, uh, you go on a calorie deficit. Most important, uh, one of the key fat factors is that many people think that, okay, now I'm... Uh, I'm bulking, uh, I want to build muscle, so I'm going to add 1,000, 1,500 calories <laughs> to my total daily energy expenditure so that I can actually, again, people are rushing, I'm going to build muscle as quickly as possible. But our body doesn't work like that. I mean, if you increase your totally, total calorie intake so quickly and so rapidly and to that amount, uh, the body will likely convert that into fat because, again, depending on... Uh, your training regimen, your volume, and how much, you know, what is your level of activity, the body will not need so much calories. So everything, as you see, is very interconnected. So your, your training volume, as well as um, your level of activity, many people train also six times, seven times a week, uh, but then uh, they spend most of the time sitting down on a chair. So will you describe that level of activity as super active or actually sedentary? Because, yeah. uh, you know, you are at the gym maybe one or two hours a day, but then the other 22 hours, you're basically sitting down on your ass. So, <laughs> you know, your level of activity is very like, I mean, I see that uh, many people tend to overestimate their level of activity and underestimate their level of um, eating and, uh, you know, basically <laughs> yeah, walk. Yeah. Sometimes they forget, oh yeah, I had that snack. Oh yeah, of course that counts as well. You know, it's, yeah. it's pretty, that's yeah. always my bear bug with sort of like counting calories because you don't actually know what your expenditure is and you don't actually know what you're having. And I think one of the, I've seen some research before where they were like the amount that P 
people when they do a food diary, the amount that they miss out is like obscenely like large. Absolutely. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah, for me, it's been one of those things of like, um, I've not, I, I, I once went through a process in a, when I, back when I was playing rugby in a preseason for about three or four weeks tracked with, um, my fitness power. when that was there with the original app tracked literally everything I ate as, as best I could for like that period. And then, and my, and my weight gain was, I was, we were basically doing some hypertrophy training and I, I literally put on, I think like a kilo, half a kilo, a kilo a week. It was like exactly what I was like estimated to do. And it wasn't something I wanted to do forever, but it just gave after, after that is like, I now, I know what, however many grams of oats in my bowl look like. I mean, I know what my portion sizes look like. And actually when I've heard since then people talking about, you know, using things like fists and, and other like very simple objects to give you an idea of like portion sizes. I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, so much easier. And actually we, 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 I know sometimes we can go for a, we can be like really scientific about measuring the quantity of something over here, but then actually the thing we're comparing it to over here that we think is a number, but it's just basically an estimate that is actually... Yeah, it's it could always be, an estimate. Even like uh, yeah. the labels that you scan with my fitness pal on the products. Yeah, exactly. It's an average and, you know, there's like 30%, uh, 30, like a, a chance of 30 percentage of, uh, you know, error in those values as well. Uh, because or even when you're eating like fruit and vegetables, when it comes to fruit, it really depends on the ripeness of, of that fruit. So you can have more sugar, less sugar. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, that's why yeah, yeah. it's good to basically have an indication of your, your calorie intakes and your macros by using some of those apps, but you don't have to become dependent. And, uh, you know, I wish we could be more like animals. You know, animals have this like natural homeostasis. So they know exactly when to eat a bit more and when to eat a bit less. Um, and basically when they, their stomach is full, um, when they achieve their calories, they, they stop eating. While yeah. in, in the case of human beings, I mean, because uh, we live in a world where, you know, food is available 24-7, the palatability of food as well. We are bombarded by advertisements. So sometimes we eat even when we don't need to. Yeah. Well, some of the well, some of the food that we're eating is arguably not even particularly like food, um, and yeah. we're not. And it, interesting, it's like we've we've had a lot of people on the podcast talking about like mindfulness, and we actually we're so distracted and busy these days that we're not um, we're not aware of actually when those signals to say that we are full, and then you go into I'm thinking like when Tony Riddle talked about. Um, uh, using breathing techniques to sort of like uh, down regulate into sort of rest digest mode ready before we eat like and that can have an impact on actually what's going in um i think that it opens up such a big um a, a big topic or conversation but going yeah. going and just i think it's useful for us all to have an appreciation of there's a number of factors at play here and what those what's what are some of those things that I can challenge myself on to do better. Can I be more mindful when I'm eating? Do I do I eat at my desk at work or do I have a separate place to do that? Do I actually de-stress before I do that? Um, yeah. Is the food I'm eating natural and or is it actually yeah. processed? And because then you go in like, well, that opens up the that calorie conversation from a slightly different angle, right? Absolutely, and uh, you know, again, uh, I. 
I gave the example of the, you know, 1,000, 1,500 calories surplus because yeah. uh, actually what you need in order to build muscle is like a slight surplus of 300, 500 calories that then, you know, with a nutritionist can be increased over time. But again, it needs to be gradual and over time yeah. rather than all of a sudden, you know, you eat nothing. And you eat. Otherwise, you end up into this yo-yo diet and they're not giving, like, giving a lot of stress to your body and uh, your body will not respond with hypertrophy or with good health whilst we know you're probably really enjoying the podcast there's something else that we think you will also really enjoy and that is the virtual classroom if you're a beginner we have got an eight week free beginners program designed to help you start your calisthenics journey where you're going to learn how to move better get superhuman strong and have a lot of fun along the way if you're ready to take your training to the next level and learn some of the iconic calisthenics movements like a frog to handstand or a muscle up, then inside the virtual classroom you are going to find all the training programs and educational information that you need. But rather than keeping you from the podcast for any longer than necessary, head over to schoolofcalisthenics.com where you're going to find a bodyweight training resource which is different to anything else available anywhere. Tim, I think they're ready to get back to the podcast. Fran, as somebody who, as we've got to know you, I know you guys um, have a really good relationship with food um, and that's not always the case in somebody whose um, focus of their training is bodybuilding or aesthetics or, or, or um, that kind of area. How, how do you maintain such a good relationship with food when you are sort of putting yourself through 16 competitions that you've done in your life? Um, because often you hear about people coming off the back of a, com- of a competition and their systems are just shot um, yeah. and, and not in a good place at all. Just for people that, because we, sure. I know there's people listening that have struggles with relationships with food and what they look like. And just, I think it'd be interesting to get your input on that. Yeah. I think that, you know, my, my relationship with, with food has improved um, uh, in a direct relationship with my level of education uh, in terms of nutrition, because uh, again, uh, when I started as a bodybuilder, I knew very little and I was just following the, the broad science and uh, so that more protein, more muscle, uh, you know, no carbs after, after sex or stuff like that. While in reality, uh, you know, for bodybuilding and for hypertrophy, uh, you don't need those large amounts of carbs, um, you know, compared to, for instance, like an endurance athlete or cyclist or a marathonette. And, uh, you know, it's just like, for me, it's been like always approaching diet in a flexible and sustainable way. Um, so I don't use my fitness pal or those, uh, you know, counting calories, counties app, uh, because of course, and I have an eye, uh, for, you know, the typical food that I eat. And again, I, when, when I say this to people say, yeah, but how do you know? I mean, if you look at what you eat in a week, uh, pretty much, I mean, even if you have like 40 or 50 different ingredients, it's still like a limited number of ingredients. You don't have to have the macros or an idea of all the food in the world because based on your taste and your you know liking you're gonna end up eating pretty much those 30 40 ingredients throughout the time and maybe you just add a new ingredient uh, here and there but still you know your your basic staple food will remain the same and then you know i start using apps or start paying more attention to my macros and my calories when i'm getting ready for a competition uh, but i try to wait until like eight weeks out, six weeks out, so the very last uh, moment where, you know, basically you need to get to like five to 6% body fat percentage. Uh, and that is like, is, is not, um, is very hard. And uh, 
is not something that I recommend also to my athletes. Many people approach to me approach me and ask me, okay, I want to you know step on stage, and then I say, look, I mean, going uh, to do like a bodybuilding competition is not very healthy. You need to know this, and uh, because people see you know the pictures, see these people on stage, say, wow, you're super ripped. Well, actually, when we are on stage, we feel like completely drained and ready to die. So even if you look like, yeah, no, it's, it's, it is true. It's true. I mean, we look like great from the outside, from people that are looking in. But, you know, inside, we're just like, I, we can't wait. That's why, you know, you have a lot of binge eating episodes after a competition because literally you can't wait for, you know, the competition to finish, to start eating again, whatever you like. And because many people do crazy things like, you know, stop drinking water, you know, stop taking salt you know, they start eating like crazy, ravenous eating uh, by adding salt, drinking water, and then sometimes they gain like 10 kilos after a competition. Because the, the body just goes, what the hell is this? Like, I can't deal with, like, the volume is one thing, but then also the, the shock to the system Absolutely. must be pretty, uh, pretty sort of, ca- like, dis- catastrophic as well. Yeah. And not healthy at all. And that's why, you know, I say to my, my, my athletes, I mean, competing is good, um, to basically compare yourself to other athletes who have gone through the same journey, but it's not necessary. And uh, if your focus is being an athlete first, then uh, you don't want to uh, put your body under that stress and then go through those yo-yo eating, rebound, weight rebound, because it's not healthy. I mean, an athlete should always be focused on performance and trying to improve his performance uh, you know, over time. Yeah, and just to clarify that, my last one, and then Jack can wrap it up. Um, when you refer to athletes, like you're not always talking about sports people, right? You're talking about people that are living an athlete lifestyle, and that, right. that is around discipline, commitment to a process, adherence, and that sort of stuff. Exactly. Yeah, for me, it's like literally we have a saying in Latin, uh, say, corpore sano. Uh, so like uh, a healthy body. Men sana, healthy mind in a healthy body. So that is actually the the essence of um, you know kind of a the healthy lifestyle uh, for an athlete. So not necessarily like professional athletes, but anyone who is uh, interested in uh, taking care of himself or herself through fitness and uh, healthy eating. Yeah, I think that's a great way for people to look at stuff. Yeah, yeah. If you if you give yourself the the permission to label yourself as an athlete, it doesn't mean you've got to be high performance. It just means that you are committed to a process. I think that's cool. Uh, my my sort of final question was to um, just pick up on uh, when you said about um, the the calorie surplus, like of being it might only be like sort of three. You know, you said three hundred um, calories, which could be something like a couple of two slices of bread or something like that. Right. Yeah. That, that could, that could make that up. So a little, yeah, it's actually not as much as probably we often think or are led to believe. Um, yeah. So, which I just thought was, just wanted to highlight that point for people that sure. are, that are listening. Cause you go cranky. I think yeah. I could easily overeat way more than that in one. Like if I've just gone through a bit of a phase of being like super hungry for just pop a Snickers bar yeah. down and you're done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, for some people like bulking phase is almost like an excuse to eat a libitum. Uh, while in reality, again, protein, you know, to give us just some numbers, I mean, protein intake should be like 1.8 gram per kilogram of lean body mass. So not just, total body mass, but muscle only. Uh, so you will see like people eating 200 grams of protein, while actually you probably need just 150, you're happy with that. And then in bodybuilding, we have this carbophobia or phobia for carbs. Well, actually yeah. for high intensity 
exercising or anaerobic glycolysis, then you need to eat your carbs. Uh, we need to shift also the mentality, not just protein, but think about carbs if you want to improve your performance and be uh, a better athlete. Yeah. How no. much good stuff is there in there? No. I would... Uh... Uh, I would. I'd be interested. Just what, what, like a final little one from me then of like a what would a what would a typical lunch or dinner like could potentially look like for someone um, of uh, how much? What, what's your body weight at the moment? Eighty three. Eighty three kilos. Eighty three. Similar to me. I know if I'm on a good day. <laughs> um, so if someone someone like us at eighty. Like what would that? What what might that potentially look like? Just for like a so if someone can picture it in their mind of like going okay. Sure. I will definitely go for something, um, again, not processed, uh, not ultra processed, or so like going back to the natural whole foods. So a nice cereal. And again, there's not just rice. Uh, there are like plenty of other type of cereals like amaranth, quinoa, teff, uh, uh, you know, buckwheat. Uh, so like uh, a good portion would be like, it depends on the size of the, of the athlete, but 100 uh, or 80 grams of, of a nice, uh, you know, cooked cereal. Uh, and then uh, some veggies and then uh, you can have like fresh lettuce and, and maybe some uh, boiled broccoli uh, or you know any type of veggies really i mean uh, veggies should be like a good portion of your plate and then uh, a good source of lean protein um, that could be i mean from plant-based athlete like tempeh or tofu or you know chicken breast uh, you know some uh, uh, you know, I would say always go for something uh, lean and uh, actually add the fat from like good source of fat. So that could be like alpha avocado or some extra virgin olive oil or sometimes also some uh, extra virgin coconut oil. But, you know, just when, when you put together your plate, think about your, you know, vegetable first, uh, your cereals. So the carbohydrates or so like source of energy and also, you know, to, to improve your performance uh, throughout your workout and then some protein, uh, but a lean source so that you can actually be more creative with a fat source that again, could be one of those uh, ingredients or even some nuts or flax seeds or, uh, you know, in the, it's like we open up like another universe. Um, yeah, for sure. And, you know, when it comes to, I'm Italian, so I love cooking as well. So, you know, you need to, to express your creativity through cooking as well. And I think that this is also another way to make your diet uh, more sustainable. Yeah. I'm going to go on, I've got, no, I could go on all day. I just, want, I just want to like a little, little insider from Jacko. I'm absolutely all over avocados at the moment. Like I can't get enough of avocados. I never used to eat them. I don't know how long ago, but like now I'm like, I'm going to go home and have a bit of avocado. Okay, that's so great. A lot of, and a lot of pepper. Oh, really? Game changer. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Even like yeah, a just, pinch of salt. Nice. Yeah, pinch of salt, but then like go hard on the cracks, on the cracks, <laughs> on, on your pepper grinder. Nice. Work that thing. Just my last question, friend. Again, I could have probably chatted to you all day about this. <laughs> and, then, and then my last question. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> um, meal timing. Sometimes in, in, in bodybuilding and the bros will be like, Every two hours, you got to get protein in. No is that right? Sex. Or is it just literally over the course of a day? Because then you've got that, and then you've got people doing the warrior diet where you're just going to eat all your calories in one sitting, and there's so many different protocols. Is it important sure. from building muscle to get protein in every two hours, or can we just take chill out a little bit and not go everywhere with Tupperware? Yeah, there yeah, are different... I... No, it's, it's a really interesting question, and uh, I like still debated it on um, kind of the literature... There are different school of thoughts. Um, I experimented myself with intermittent fasting, prepare competition on I was intermittent ask fasting on that, as yeah. well. 
Um, it, it, it really depends on the athlete and the adaptation, the body adaptation of the athlete. Um, if you look at the literature, uh, of course, you know, in order to reduce ureogenesis or the excretion of protein, um, it's always a good idea to have like uh, same size uh, protein feeding uh, repeated time throughout the day because protein synthesis goes like this. So you need to just basically have like from 30 to, again, depending on the size of the athlete, a regular uh, protein feeding throughout the day in order to maximize uh, protein muscle synthesis. But in reality, um, you know, the, again, uh, still debatable. Uh, what we found is that the most important, uh, you know, moment when to, you know, stimulate uh, muscle protein synthesis is actually the peri-workout. So the meal before, potentially intra, so during and after the workout. Then uh, the other, you know, hours of the day, you can basically be more flexible and uh, maybe just have just one single additional meal or two or three, depending also on uh, your busy schedule. Uh, you know, when I used to work in, uh, in this company, uh, you know, I didn't have time to basically sit down every two hours uh, and, and eat my chicken breast and broccoli and rice. In an uh, important meeting, just get your, get your fish and rice cake. <laughs> yeah. And, and in terms of like protein feeding or the anabolic window right after the workout, after resistant training, then uh, you know protein should be always like 0 0.4, 0.5 gram per kilogram of body weight around that window. And uh, again, never um, kind of uh, underestimate the power of carbohydrates that don't only replenish your glycogen. Glycogen is basically a storage form of glucose in your body that helps you to ex you know kind of uh, exert. Uh, performance and high intensity in the in, in, in your training, but also uh, carbohydrates are anti-catabolic, so they basically reduce the other uh, physiological effect of the stress of training that is uh, muscle protein muscle protein breakdown. So you always want to have muscle protein synthesis higher than muscle protein breakdown, so that you actually have muscle accrual or you you grow muscle, uh, and that's why carbohydrates are also very important post-workout. Amazing. Protein and carbs. Yeah. Mate, we're going to wrap that there. So much in there. Thanks so much for, uh, for sharing all of that wisdom and advice. And I think that the stuff that I, I really like about your perspective, friends, it just it comes from time on the uh, like on the gym floor at the cold face. Like you've done it, you've trialed it, you've yeah. tested it. Your mindset is all about being a student of it and you've educated yourself around it. So it's, it comes from a place of real like authenticity and reliable. So I think thank you for, for taking the time yeah. out. And you like, and just as you said about being a perfectionist, like meticulous about how you um, not just articulate things in this podcast, but like we've seen you when you're training, and it's yeah, it's it's um, it's hats off. To, like I wish I could. I was as we as we there was one bit that you talked about earlier, and I just I can't. It doesn't necessarily matter what it was, but it just made me. I was like, oh, I wish I could be more meticulous with some of the things that I do tempo if it's training that I'd, <laughs> and I would be I would be better but I'm just yeah. not in that space quite quite now at the moment I've written down one thing that like Fran has been you've had your last question too. it's not a question it's a statement it's a request so you've come to a couple of our workshops what I think we need to do is for Fran to take us through a calisthenics body weight or uh, bodybuilding session 
Yes. Mm. And to see how we get on. That could yeah. make some interesting awesome. content because yeah. I would die. I yeah. know that, like... And be, be meticulous <laughs> on the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Frantic coach Just course. break you with a push-up. I remember when Ross <laughs> Edgley like, yeah. was pushing down on your back and went doing a hyper-trip. Uh, leave me alone. <laughs> he was like <laughs> doing... Ross yeah, was doing drop sets where he was like pushing you down and then literally to get you back up to the top was just pulling you on his head. He's like lift you up <laughs> off the floor. That would um, be awesome. Just, yeah. That was a little bit more of a process. But yeah. We'll see if we can, we can hook that up. Um, right. We're going to we're going to throw this yes. over uh, well I think that we probably won't uh, probably, this probably won't be the last time I don't think that we'll potentially hear from you I, I, I'm putting front up there for a, a potential part two if uh, like we've had with a couple of other guests where if there's if people have got questions about mm. like bodybuilding about hypertrophy how it's used they can use it in calisthenics or not or have questions about the nutritional side of things please do get in touch um, you can obviously get in touch with us on via email or, or social visit the website schoolcalisthenics.com but also get in touch um let fran know how uh how you how you liked um the podcast and if you've got any questions from him on instagram it's iron manager just all one word isn't it yes yeah yeah, yeah. It is. um and then we'll put links into uh we'll put links in the show notes um for those so you can get straight in and, and ask us and fran some questions and if you want him on again we can uh, we can fire up uh fire up that and we can delve a bit deeper into some of those some of those topics. I felt like when you said we we're going to start talking about fats, I felt like that was a that was going to be like a a whole a whole series in itself yeah, potentially. <laughs> right, Fran, you've got Thank an important guys. job. You're going to, have to wrap this up, and you have been a part of the school of calisthenics for a long time. So do not let me down, like Ollie <laughs> Frost did a week or so. He's ago. expecting you to know the sign off. So it's yeah, you be... you're going to sign off the podcast, which is the ultimate test. So until next time, tutti a casa class dismissed so thank you so much again for listening we don't take it lightly that you uh, give up probably an hour of your time to listen to these podcasts and we really do appreciate that we hope you got a load of value out of it guys and we would if you did we would love you to do a couple of things for us one of them is tell other people and share it if you thought that we were adding some value and also if you want to pop over to itunes or wherever you're listening to this and give us a five star review we like five stars four stars not as good keep it five are the best five of your best stars please <laughs> and if you would like to find out more about the school of calisthenics and see the best of everything that we have got head over to our virtual classroom you can access it from the website at schoolofcalisthenics.com and that is where we have got literally possibly the best calisthenics resource available anywhere in the world it's definitely the best one we've done and on that note until next week class dismissed <laughs>